Thank you all so much for joining us for episode nine, season four of our Revise and Resubmit podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Boland, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama, and we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA. So one of the things that we've been able to see through this podcast, and we've seen a lot of things, we have, is that, hmm, okay, so I would say that zero out of all of our guests as youngsters have thought, oh, I want to be a researcher, or, oh, I want to be a faculty member when I grew up. And some have indicated that they thought about like being a teacher or played school when they were younger, but exactly none have said that they wanted to be in higher education or academia as a career. Like maybe that unicorn is out there and we'll talk to them, but maybe not. And, you know, I'm not even sure that any of our guests said like as a child, they wanted to earn a PhD or even a master's degree maybe like not even go to college at all. But now, after each of our guests have earned those doctoral degrees, even if they find themselves not traditional faculty members, they are all still either actively doing research and or using research skills in their jobs. That's exactly right. I don't know if once a researcher, always a researcher is a phrase, but I think it should be. Mm -hmm. Our guest today actually began her career playing golf in college and then became a pro golfer teaching Mm -hmm. golf. But when she moved to Alabama, she found out that it wasn't necessarily this thriving market. (laughs) And is now the department chair of integrated marketing communication and of digital communications at the University of West Alabama. It's not even an hour down the road from where we are in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. She has taught 13 different courses and wait until you hear from her. You're going to he, hear how she is such a rock star. And just as a fun fact, if you live in the West Alabama area and found yourself driving along the 2059 interstate between Birmingham and Tuscaloosa, you might just have seen her on a billboard that West Alabama posted to promote its distance learning programs. I mean, we're talking like superstar here. Superstar. Dr. Amy Jones was front and center of a billboard that thousands of people would pass each day and her kids were horrified. <laughs> and you tell us about that too. We are so happy to welcome Dr. Amy Jones to the Revised and Resubmit podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. We are thrilled to be able to catch up with you. Hey, Dr. Bissell. It's great to talk to you. It's been a long time. It certainly has. Amy, before we get started here, I have to ask you a question about a billboard that I remember seeing (laughs) when I was driving from Birmingham down 2059. And I remember looking up and saying to myself, oh my goodness, that's Amy Jones on this billboard for UWA. And so I have to know, 
when your son saw it, what did they think? Or did they even know that that's like, oh, that's my mom on this huge billboard for West Alabama? That is such a funny story. So our um, public relations and marketing office on campus um, and, and the, for online programs that was putting up those billboards, they reached out and they were like, by the way, here's your new billboard. And I had no idea I was going to be on a billboard or that it was going to be <laughs> there. And um, and so they, they kind of let me know it wasn't like a permissions based thing. You know, it was like, hey, and here it is. And, um, you know, hope you like it, and which was really funny um, because it was just completely unexpected. And, and so, yes, when we were driving to Tuscaloosa, um, the boys saw it and I, I don't know how old they would have been at the time, maybe like five and eight. And um, the five-year-old just really thought it was cool. And the eight-year-old was already embarrassed by me. <laughs> <laughs> so he was ready for my face to come off of that thing as quickly as possible. <laughs> see, that's what I was wondering where they're like, this is so cool. That's my mom are totally horrified that their friends might see it. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, the younger one um, who thinks everything is cool thought it was great. And then the older one was like, Oh my gosh, mom, like my friends are all going to see. <laughs> I think that would be pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, it was great. It was, it was, um, it didn't, it didn't last too terribly long. So they, they got over it. <laughs> Let's shift gears just a little bit and learn a little bit more about you. I'm going to ask you a couple quick questions. Um, so first, can you tell us where you're from? Yeah, so I'm originally from Shelbyville, Kentucky, and um, I graduate. I lived there my whole life, all the way up through high school, um, and left there when I went to college. Okay, and then when were you at the University of Alabama? Okay, so... Um, Let's see. That <laughs> it kind of is a story on how I got there. Um, I, I, I played golf in college and um, ended up at the University of New Orleans. And this natural disaster seems to follow me, uh, whatever university I attend. And so, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans um, kind of right at the end. I had just finished my eligibility. I was in my um, had just started my second semester of grad school at um, the University of New Orleans. And of course the university closed down. So I went back home to um, Louisville and I, I finished the second half of my master's there. Um, but I had been dating my husband in New Orleans, um, you know, for like four or five years. And just suddenly Katrina kind of put us in this long distance relationship that frankly, we just didn't want to be in. And so, um, so, you know, what two young dumb people do, they just like, let's get married. And so, um, so, <laughs> So we did. And um, and he was had just been hired as a grad assistant at UWA um, for the baseball team. And so we um, right after our wedding, I moved here and um, it, and starting at UWA as a professor was also kind of a, a random background. But um, uh, they just happened to have an opening and I happened to be qualified, but I didn't have a doctorate at the time. And so that was part of the deal is, you know, hey, they, they'd try me out in the role as long as I'd agree to try to get a doctorate. And so that's how I ended up at the University of Alabama. But, you know, natural disaster followed me there, too, because the um, the tornadoes struck Tuscaloosa uh, right before my commencement ceremony for my doctorate program. Wow. I've forgotten that detail. I know. <laughs> Goodness. So you are now where? I am still at UWA and I'm in my 16th year as a faculty member here 
now. So it's been, um, it's been a while and I've pretty much served in every rank of faculty that you can serve in (laughs) at UWA. So I started here as, you know, a lecturer and then moved up to instructor. And then um, once I finished my doctorate, um, went to tenure track line and, and um, just recently um, got promoted to full professor this year. Yay. Yay. Congratulations. Thank you. So, okay, we know that you were a golfer. Yes. Did the young Amy say from age five, moving forward, I'm going to be a golfer? Is that kind of what you thought you would be growing up? Or were there other things that you envisioned yourself doing? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I I did. My job before I moved to Livingston was I was a golf pro um, in Louisville and I taught kids and women mostly lessons. Um, But that really just was not a thing in in um, the Black Belt region of Alabama. That's just not something that you can get a job for um, (laughs) here. And so I I still thought that's what I was going to be when I moved to Alabama. um, And it just didn't, you know, really work out that way. Um, but, but I think golf kind of prepared me for, you know, when we go up for like tenure and things, we have to write these long essays about ourselves. And that's a terribly awkward thing to have to do. But my very first one that I wrote, (laughs) I talked about how golf prepared me for pretty much, you know, I mean, like it prepares you for whatever. It just makes you constantly strive to be better. And you're, you're competing against yourself and not other people. And, um, you know, so like always kind of holding yourself accountable and, and trying to do to better with whatever it is kind of with it, which each day trying to leave it better than you found it, which is kind of one of my mottos. And um, I don't know. So I feel like golf prepared me for that. But I definitely did not think I would be doing this. I always tell our students that they think they know exactly what they're going to do. You know, just remember, I thought I was going to be a golf pro until I moved here. So it's it's OK. I'm not at all doing that. <laughs> But I think that's a great lesson to share with your students about, you know, you may go into something totally convinced this is going to be, you know, your career forever and what you do for many, many, many years. But then, you know, you shift gears for whatever reason, or maybe you're exposed to something um, via a class. And it's just, I think it's really cool that you can kind of share that story with them so that they can see they don't, they're not necessarily stuck in a particular path. Yes, I think, you know, it's all about the skills and kind of the, the lessons that you've learned leading up to your career and not necessarily um, uh, the specific career that you're working toward. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Absolutely. So let's get into some of the scholarship that you do and that you've done. Can you give us an elevator pitch on your research? <laughs> Sure. So um, I think really my main area of interest has always been kind of in sports calm. And and I think that applies too with my teaching. My favorite classes that I get to teach are like sports photography or, you know, um, sports issues in the media, because it just kind of takes me back to, you know, the, the days of getting to um, to play a sport every day. And I don't get to do that much <laughs> as a mom anymore. Um, so a lot of my scholarship really kind of hits in that area of looking at, um, you know, how the media represents different sports, um, what different stereotypes are out there, um, looking at verbal and visual cues within the media um, and that sort of thing. But of course, at um, at UWA, I have kind of more of an administrative role. And, and um, so I really think that my research and 
activities have kind of shifted here. I, I was our QEP director for um, our last QEP. And so that really took up a lot of my research activity. It was communications based, oh, which okay. was, um, yeah, so it was um, like teaching our students about persona and audience, tone and style and even media literacy. And of course, um, that went for really for six years because we did a pilot year before it launched. And then, of course, um, I typed up that impact report as well. So that really takes up a lot of, um, you know, just creative energy in that research headspace. Um, mm -hmm. And we do a lot of grant writing, too. And we can have some fun with grants like just this past summer when we were trying to come up with some fun activities to do um, grant wise. Our department wrote one with an English professor here who does a lot of ghost novels. And um, so we wrote a wow, a, a ghost grant. We called it the ghost grant lovingly in our meetings, but that wasn't the actual title <laughs> of the grant that we submitted. And, you know, so it was just a lot of fun, like trying to work into maybe we could create a documentary and write this um, grant to do a ghost documentary with this really famous ghost author that we have on our English faculty here at EWA. So, you know, doing some really cool stuff like that as well. That. So I, I, I want to take, I want to be involved, <laughs> but I guess it's not a class, but that sounds like really cool. It really does. So yes. Let me ask a question here is how, how did, how did y'all get into that, that collaborative process um, and, and figure out like, oh, crossing departments and working together. How did that come about? You know, we have just the best camaraderie um, <laughs> in the building where I work over here at UWA. And so, um, I, like, our communications department is on the first floor. The English department's on the third floor. And, you know, we just hang out and run ideas by each other. And one day, we were just like, um, our, our ghost author, his name is Dr. Alan Brown, and he is just an absolute genius. But um, he was going to do a ghost tour around town for Halloween. And we were like, man, we've got to create a documentary for that because that is just like it sells out. Students have to like reserve their tickets and it just they do several of them and they all just you can't ever get a spot, you know. And we were thinking we've got to do this. And then the grant office Somehow, I don't know, we were in a meeting with them and we were telling them how cool that was. And they said, oh, my gosh, we could write a grant for that, you know. <laughs> so um, it just kind of turned into this whole thing because we just sit around and, and collaborate sometimes and, and get creative. And I, I love that part of my day. There's generally an element in every day that is just, you know, throwing out really fun ideas. And, and what can we do either involving our students or collaborating with different faculty or different areas on campus? Okay. That is so, so cool. So <laughs> I really have to ask, as you were telling us about how you got into academia, starting as a lecturer and moving kind of all the way up, you, you've served in many different roles as, as a professor, and now you're on the administrative side. Was the administration piece of it something that you saw for yourself, like when you first started teaching, or did you think, you know, I'll just always be a professor. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that happened? Because I know so many, so many people in academia don't ever see themselves necessarily as administrators. And sometimes they're the best because it's like, well, I just kind of landed here and it's working out great. Yeah, I, the same happened to me. I just landed here. And I, again, I think I just kept thinking I was going to be a golf pro, you know, <laughs> like, it never really <laughs> dawned on me 
where this thing was heading, um, but I knew I loved it. I, and I love our students. Um, we really serve an awesome group of students and have the whole time I've been here. Um, and so I think that, you know, through coming in as a lecturer, you spend a lot of time with your students because your main role is to teach those classes and and just to make sure that the students survive, you know, um, and the same applies, I think, as all levels of faculty, but, but your roles change. You get put on more committees, you become busier, it pulls you away from the students when you do that. So I think that that was, to have that student focus is really critical and kind of shaped maybe my mindset um, now, but I don't think I ever saw that it was going this way. We, when I first started working here, we really just had a journalism minor and I don't even think we had maybe 20 students in the journalism minor. And so wow. that was really, I, I taught 20 students, you know, over and over again, in addition to the speech classes that I would teach, but, but the students that were in the program that I taught multiple courses in, I didn't have that many. And so, um, and I still, am in touch with those students to this day because I just know everything about them, right? Because I spent so much time with that small cohort. It probably was more like 12 students. It was a very small cohort. <laughs> and then um, two years after I finished my doctorate, so it would have been in 2013, we launched our integrated marketing communications major. And um, it really just kind of exploded. And we have um, on campus and online now, I think just under 200 students now. So it really kind of exploded. But with that, we added two more undergraduate tracks and a graduate program. And so since 2013, there have been four new programs launched and different student interests coming and going. New faculty were hired to sustain the need um, for the number of students that we were getting. And we had to renovate facilities that we didn't have, you know. And um, so it was really kind of a true building process, a labor of love, if that's what you want to call it. And mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know, it kind of just evolved into this, I think, because it was just something that we were building, but it was very much a group effort. The faculty in our program, um, we've like, there's another faculty member that has been here the whole time, right alongside of me. Um, and so I think that we have worked, we have all worked here for several years, and we're very invested into the process and kind of you know, doing what's best for our students and building something. So it's just kind of happened organically. Hmm. So I think that we, we've got, I think we've got all sorts of listeners and of course a lot of academics, but a lot of uh, undergrad and graduate students. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we think, oh, I'm going to be a faculty member and I'm going to teach and I'm going to do research and that's it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you even how you got involved in like the QEP and and what that even means? Um, because I, I think does every does every university have have one? <laughs> <laughs> they do, yes. So the, the QEP is a requirement for um, SAC COC reaccreditation, and you launch a new QEP every ten years, and the QEP lasts for at least six years. Sometimes they, they keep going because it's essentially a, prog a project on your campus that you want to launch that will benefit something for the future for your students in general. So that can be the learning environment or something that you as a university feel that the students need to learn to make them better as a whole. And so um, it was around nine years ago when our last one launched, because we're getting, we're right working on the second one as we speak. But um, that one was 
communication space because, you know, the faculty and the students and the staff all just really felt like a collective voice was going, you know, we really need help with communication. We want to make sure that when we read something online that we know how to tell whether it's a quality source or not. Um, we want to understand how not to give rude tone in an email, um, and but how to make sure that we can adjust our messages for different audiences and stuff like that. So that kind of just evolved into, you know, hey, Amy, you teach communications. Um <laughs> how about doing this? And so, um, so it just kind of became a part of what I did. And, um, and really, I enjoyed it. Um, in a nerdy kind of way. Um, I, I really did. It was a lot of fun. But I will tell you, around that same time, I was also faculty senate president. And oh. I know. And that is what showed me, you know, what it's like to be on a lot of meetings and what happens, what takes place at a university behind the scenes that's not just in the classroom, right? Because you're literally as faculty senate president, you are the voice of the faculty. So you're on every committee. <laughs> Just about. And um, and and so you really learn a lot. And and again, the nerdy side of me was like, you know, this is really neat to kind of understand how the university operates, what all these different offices do and what these different people do and how the different colleges interact with one another. And so um, so I think that role probably taught me more than anything. I mean, it's it's cool. And well, I mean, I I say it's cool not having done those things. (laughs) I think yeah. these types of, of ser- service um, and, and leadership experiences are a way that new faculty can learn more about the institution and get some of that professional development that that's right right there within the university too, which is a gift, I think. Yes, it really, no, it is. You, you learn a lot about making yourself better as a faculty member, but also just as someone who works for a university and serving that university's mission. Um, and I think that it really shows you why your students are who they are, where they come from, and mm-hmm. gives you that sense of compassion, too, for, for why you started doing what you're doing in the first place. So it really shows you another side or kind of reminds you of, of why you are where you are. So I want to shift gears back to um, kind of some of the classes that you have taught in the past, because it sounds like you've taught a lot of it. Um, So in the area of sports media, I know you mentioned um, sports photography, which is definitely a favorite of mine to teach. But going back to the research that you did in sports communication, doing the research on representation and um, how the media are, are representing certain sports, you know, some sports more than others. When you were teaching these classes, did you find like an, an overlap between what you had found in some of your studies and what you were telling them? And I know that as an athlete, you're probably able to like pull in the practical stuff as well. But did you find kind of a, a middle ground there where the, the research kind of collided with, with those classes? Yes. And I think there was my, one of my very first articles that I ever um, had published was, you know, um, you don't look like an athlete was the name of it. And the reason it was called that is because I can't tell you how many times in my life someone has said that to me, like, well, you don't look like a golfer or you don't look like an athlete. And I always kind of tell those sports issues in the media class. I mean, that's really how it launches is like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. What is it? What does a golfer look like? 
and, right. <laughs> and, how, and, and how do you know what that golfer looks like? And, and, you know, raise your hand if you've ever been to an LPGA event or a collegiate golf event in person and hardly any of them ever have. And so then it's like, okay, so how do you know what I'm supposed to look like to be a golfer? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it kind of launches that conversation of, you know, well, of course it comes from the media and then, you know, trying to see through the lens of, of how that event is edited and what camera angles are used and the commentary that's used and how that kind of shapes what we think about what a golfer is supposed to look like. So that's one of the first things that I do in those classes is just, you know, normally when I tell them that I play golf in college, they're like, really? Because I'm just, you know, like <laughs> I'm five foot four on a good day. And, you know, <laughs> and I wear heels to make myself look more commanding, but it's, I'm just not very physically commanding. And so I think that they're just always kind of like, are you sure? You know, like, and, and, um, <laughs> and recently we have some international students um, on our campus all the time. And I took them to Top Golf in December for a fun day away from campus. And I'm just kind of give them an, a, a fun experience in American sport that's, you know, I think top golf is great. It's like bowling and darts and golf all in one. And um, so I, I took them and they were like, oh, you mean you actually play golf like you? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I still think they don't understand, um, you know, because I just don't look the part. And, and that's really always opens that conversation of, you know, it's kind of like when a five foot five guy walks in and they say they play basketball and you go, right. well, you're a guard, you know, obviously, because that could be all you could ever be because, that's, <laughs> you know, and I think that we just have these stereotypes. You know, I think that that's, it's, I'm thinking even like this, this topic and this questioning, I, I hope is, is also kind of enlightening to like, what, it, what, what is a scientist and what is a research, especially right now, I think um, th there's a look to um, what a scientist is supposed to look like. And then, mm -hmm. and then even further, like how they're supposed to act um, as if every kind of job is one dimensional or every sport or every athlete is just an athlete and can't do other things. Um, and so this, this kind of inquiry into like what, what are what are you what are your assumptions um, of someone, and like let's think about that more. That's right. It's I, it just it really, and our students are so open to those those discussions. And honestly, I, maybe that's a stereotype of my own, but I kind of felt like they wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. I felt like you know our students would be closed off to you know, just exploring, maybe my perception of things isn't exactly the way it is in reality. Maybe if I go to an event in person, I might be surprised. And, and I mean, I can say this and I, you know, my collegiate soccer players hopefully won't be upset with this, but I always kind of thought soccer was boring to watch, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But then when I go to our college soccer matches, like they are fascinating, like they're really yeah. fun. And so it's like, well, why is it that it's boring on television for me? And then I've got this perception of how boring this is, but then in person, I love it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what is it that, that we're doing in with our media representation of that, that makes me feel a certain way until I've been there in person. Mm. So many so many, we can have 29,000 follow-up questions. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> but I do want to shift gears on you just a little bit again. Um, okay. I know when you were at the University of Alabama, you had an opportunity 
to also be here when Dr. Jennings Bryant was here. Um, and I was wondering if you had a great Jennings story or if you took a class from him and you wanted to share a little bit about maybe your interactions with him. You know, and I don't think I ever had the privilege of taking a class from him, but my that did not mean that we did not interact because I think that he saw himself as like the grandpa of, um, <laughs> of our doctoral program and um, kind of took us all under his wing. And so, you know, I'm just smiling, you know, when you bring up his name, because I just feel like um, just such an awesome person representing, I think the service that we give undergraduate students is that handholding and that, you know, personalized individual love that you give each student and that encouragement. And that's what he brought um, to that program is just like, hey, you've got this. It was just a very grandpa loving kind of a situation was my perception of him um, through our interactions. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think um, many of our previous guests have have said he's sort of the academic dad or academic grandpa doing exactly as he described. And I think he would be thrilled to know everyone <laughs> saw him in that way. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's, there's no better legacy than that. Just to know that's that right. that you, you were the person that encouraged people that they could make it through, <laughs> you know. Perfect. Absolutely. So, Amy, looking back, um, not not that you're finished, but looking back over the past 16 years or so in your professional career, what are you most proud of? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it might sound cliche. I think I'm most proud of, of our students. Um, you know, you get very close to them. We see how much they grow. Um, we stay in touch. They they have my cell number. We stay in touch on a closed Facebook group. And so I constantly know where they are when they change jobs, you know, they're having babies. It's just, it, it mm -hmm. honestly, that has been, I think probably the most rewarding um, thing for me, but I, I will say that COVID probably brought the greatest challenges to that too, because um, it really, the interaction, my office is actually in an electrical closet which is great. And, um, <laughs> and it opens up into the classroom. And so when my office door is open, which it is, if I'm in here generally, um, I mean, I hear every class that takes place outside of my office door because it literally opens up into the classroom. Oh and my so <laughs> I know, so I am, I am with these students all day. So social distancing is like, it's not a thing. I mean, it's just like, I, like we are in one another's space, all day, every day. And so to try to navigate, how do we do this safely? How do we still have interaction that I think that is really important to what our program has become um, was a, a huge challenge. And, um, and, and I think I'm just going to go ahead and say that we're on the other side of this thing now. <laughs> I'm going to mm -hmm. declare that a win, but, but, <laughs> I, but, but it, it just was a huge challenge of how do we how do we social distance, but still work in groups? How do we um, navigate when students are quarantined for two weeks, but but we, class still has to go on? And and how do we do this asynchronously and synchronously, and and still run our program in a way that a student would want to be a part of it? You know, and mm -hmm. um, so I think that that I, I think I'm proud of how we survived that because it it was a unique challenge that, I mean, nobody could ever prepare you for that. Right. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So shifting gears again, uh, I have a final question. And truly, I feel like we could talk for a whole other hour. Um, But one final question, and it's a follow up to what you just said about the lockdown and navigating all of that. I know, I wouldn't say I'm a, I stalk you on social media, Mm -hmm. follow you on social media. So (laughs) I know there was a good period of time where you were posting um, day, whatever it was in quarantine with your son. (laughs) Yes. Which was great. um, And provided, I don't want to say entertainment, but I was like those sweet boys (laughs) again on day 100 and whatever it was. Um, So following up on this optimism and hope that you just shared, are you, is there a place that you're looking forward to going if whether it's professional or personal a conference that you want to attend place that you want to go with with your family when we are finally out of all this yeah oh gosh there's so much um to go back to that we started on day one of quarantine and for whatever reason i was just like every day I'm going to post something that I want to remember with this time that I get to have with my kids, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's just so special to me, you know, to get time with them. And, and this was, un, uh, you know, you couldn't have predicted the amount of time we got. <laughs> I just kept going. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to just every day, if we can just find one thing that I want to remember, but the really cool thing is I was posting it to my Instagram and then I found this app called chat books. I swear I'm not advertising for them, but, um, and it created these books of what I posted every day. And so we have them as coffee table books at our house. And it, it actually took up oh three. Goodness. It took up three books because there's so many. I mean, that's how long we were together <laughs> for, I mean, you know, and it just went on and on. I can't even remember like 180 something days. And so it makes up three books and you can flip through and see what we did every single day wow. and what we were able to do together. And it, it really, I, I was so thrilled that I found that app and um, that, that just was so fortunate that on day one, we started posting whatever fun thing we got to do together. Um, and, and, and I'm going to have to get extra copies because I know they're going to want them one day. I, I think they'll want to remember that too. It, will, <laughs> it was certainly memorable. <laughs> um, as far as um, going places with the family, I, I guess that's the one thing we never stopped doing. Um, but it really did affect us kind of at work. We always take our students to go do some fun things. We take an annual trip to Disney World. We weren't able to do that last year. We haven't really been able to go to conferences with our students. And we've really missed that. Um, but we are going to Disney World this year. We're leaving in a week and a half. And I, and most of our students that we take, they've never been. It is, um, it is so much fun, um, you know. And then I also, I have a, a conference coming up um, in April, which is a work-based learning conference. And I know that's the nerdy side of me, but, um, <laughs> but I really love kind of helping teach our students how to, to go from the hands-on skills that they're learning, but how does that apply to the workforce and how does that, how can they apply those skills to pretty much anything they want to do? And so I am looking forward to going to that conference uh, in Birmingham. It is this, this time. So. So much to look forward to. Yes. I love it. Amy, it has been so much fun catching up with you. I I can't thank you enough for um, taking some time to to talk to us and and share all of these great stories. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, I have too. It's been great catching up. All right. Bye, Amy. Thanks, Amy. Bye. Thank you.